Hi everyone, this is David Wolf. I'm excited to get right into this week's episode of Beyond the Summit, but before we do that, I want to ask you for a little help supporting the show, and it costs absolutely nothing to you except 10 seconds of your time right now. If you could go into the podcast platform that you are listening to this episode on and rate the show with five stars, that would help spread the word and the incredible messages that our guests give to us each and every week. You can leave a comment or review of what you thought about previous episodes or wait to the end of the show and leave your review then. Now look, if you don't like the episode, when you're done, you can go ahead and change your rating as well. That's perfectly fine. But thanks so much again for listening to Beyond the Summit and supporting the podcast each and every week. Welcome to Beyond the Summit, where we journey into the heart of human potential. I am your host, David Wolf. Here we will engage with extraordinary minds, unlock secrets of success, and discover what fuels happiness in our extraordinary guests. Prepare to be inspired, to grow, and to see beyond your own summit. had to have one meal for the rest of your life what would it be one meal for the rest of my life um i'm not saying this is your last supper and you're you're going to right. be cheer tomorrow i'm just right. saying if you had one meal for the rest of your life uh i would say um korean food um like spicy pork bulgogi or just regular bulgogi something along those lines uh, really? Jay, kimchi. Where did you have that? I I spent three years in Korea as a military dependent, and I uh, you know just started liking Korean food while we were there. So and when you have Americanized Korean food as a junk, no, we've we've got a couple really good Korean restaurants here in Charlotte, <laughs> and so um, you know they're the. What's starting to become much more popularized is Korean barbecue restaurants. You know, you've got the the grill at your table and, you know, you cook the food and they bring out all the all the complimentary side dishes and everything. And um yeah, so that's kind of my that's my go to. That's the you know, when Todd wants to celebrate or mm-hmm. you know, I want to treat myself, you know, it's uh let's go get some Korean food. See, I love that hibachi cook on your Cook, cook, yeah. cook meal right on the tabletop, but every time I get hibachi, it's a race back to the house to the toilet. Duh. Sometimes I win, sometimes I lose, and when I lose, I the whole family loses. But you know what my go-to would be? What's my uh, last meal? Yours, my f- yours would be Skyline Chili, four-way with onion at Skyline Chili. So you got to do the five-way. Uh, I don't re- regardless do the of whether you can. You can make it back to the toilet or not. It doesn't the matter. The same reason. That's why I don't do the bean. Maybe maybe the next time I'll give it a shot just for you and I'll post the results. Oh, no, 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 no. Don't send me pictures of the results. Don't post the results. Don't share the results. Just be like, hey, I had five-way. It was good. I Did I ever tell you my Dennis Miller sh- story? No. Okay. So I don't know if you know this about me. Um, 10, 12 years ago, I used to be the general manager of a limousine company in Cincinnati. Yeah, yeah, yeah used to drive a lot of celebrities. I pick up Dennis Miller. So for the listeners that don't know who Dennis Miller is, Dennis Miller uh, was, I don't know, I guess he's a comedian, but he was on Saturday Night Live. He would always do weekend updates. Yeah. And from 
people say about him, he is an ass in every sense of the world. And so about 10, 12 years ago, he was doing the Bill O'Reilly show and he was traveling the country with Bill O'Reilly. Yep. So I had to go pick him up from the airport and I picked him up from his private plane and he just looked like a bum when he walked out of the FBO. And he, you know, I'm standing there and I grab his bag. I'm Mr. Miller. I'll, I'm David. I'll be your driver today. Ugh, just grunts at me. I'm like, okay. So I put his bag in the trunk and I start taking him to the hotel. This is uh, the hotel he was staying at was one of the historic hotels in Cincinnati. It's called the Cincinnati. Okay. So we're driving and, and uh, we get up, to, we're getting up to the highway and he, he, there's a car in front of us. And one thing I was taught when I was a limousine driver is you never honk when you've got a passenger. Never, ever, ever honk your horn when you got a passenger. Right. So I'm pulling up, uh, I'm getting closer to the highway and now we're on to the entrance ramp onto the highway and Dennis Miller in the back is going, honk at him. I said, excuse me, sir. He goes, honk at him. He's driving too slow. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and so now he goes, pass him. I'm on the entrance ramp of the highway and Dennis Miller is telling me to pass him. Yes, sir. I pass him on the entrance ramp. He rolls down his, his window and starts flipping the guy off for driving too slow. On the, I'm like, no. what? what are you doing? So we're driving for another three, four minutes and he sees a billboard. He goes, Skyline Chili. I said, yes, sir. He goes, I've heard about that. What is it? I said, well, you know, it's kind of like a, a delicacy here in Cincinnati. It's, it's, it's really wonderful. It's, it's, he goes, uh, he goes, well, what's this thing I hear? It's called a three-way. I, and I describe a, a three-way is, is you've got your, your pasta noodles and your, your chili. And you're, you know, you've got the uh, onion. Uh, no, you've got the pasta, cheese. chili, and the, the big clumps of cheese, right? The shredded cheese. And he says, uh, well, what's a four-way? I said, well, four-way is actually my favorite. You can get it the same thing, but with onion or beans. He goes, well, then what's a five-way? I said, oh, well, five-way is what we call a very good night here in Cincinnati. He goes, Ugh. I think I'm going to use that in my show tonight. I said, okay. So he says, so tell me, how do I get some of the Skyline Chili? I said, well, if you'd like, I'll drop you off at the hotel. I'll be picking you up for your show later on. So why don't I go and uh, I'll pick up some Skyline Chili for you. I'll bring it back to the hotel. You just let the person at the front desk know, let them know that your driver's going to bring, bring you back dinner and and uh, they'll take it up to your room for you. He goes, okay, it sounds good. So I get over to... 6th Street, where the Cincinnati is low, and it's just traffic. Just, you can't move through there. He goes, I'll get out here. Now, as a limousine driver, everything's planned, and I right. want to make sure that their privacy is protected and that people aren't storming them, right? I jump out of the car, I grab his back, he goes, I'll just take it. I'm like, okay. Uh, I said, I'll, I'll be back with your chili. So I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm barely moving forward. I, in fact, I'm not even at the door of the, of the hotel. And all of a sudden, I see him walk out of the hotel, looking looking around and I'm like, oh crap, something's wrong. This is bad. So I get out of my car, I go, sir? And he looks at me, goes, I'm in room 204. I'm like, oh my God. Oh no, God. For Dennis <laughs> Miller's. So that was my Dennis Miller story. He was still a jerk. <laughs> but I'm also telling you the story because I told you a couple of weeks ago, I wanted to get you a gift. I don't even remember what for. I just wanted to get you a gift, right? So I've been looking at several sky. The reason I haven't gotten it is because I've been going to several Skylines, even yesterday, looking for a t-shirt that says Skyline Chili, but they were out of stock in your size. So I ended up ordering one last night. You'll have it in the next week or so. Oh my gosh, you're awesome. So, so that's, I'm getting that's myself too one too. 
because uh, why not? <laughs> That's awesome. So if you haven't guessed by the title of the podcast, I am with a friend of mine. We've been friends for four plus years now, I think, Todd Scandrett. Yep. And Todd has, um, he's someone that I look up to. And I think in my own personal life, I've become a more charitable person about because of things he's done. And just to recap and not repeat what you've heard on my previous show or other people's shows, uh, Todd is a, and correct me if I'm wrong here, 19-year uh, vet of the Army, correct? 19 years? Uh, 18. 18. All right. Well, I'll give you an extra credit. You're there, too. Yeah, thanks. You're a good, good guy. So 18 years in the Army, uh, medically disabled for heart, correct? Yep. And uh, just make sure I'm saying it all right. Todd started something, which is how I got to know him, called Resurgence PPG, where it is a 401c3 that takes uh, basically what Resurgence has done, has taken some candidates who are all adaptive veterans, all who have PTSD, and we have raised a lot of money to uh, pay for their training, their lodging, their food, and their transportation to and from their school. It really helps with a lot of, I don't know, say mental recovery is the right word, but helping them feel better about everything that they've gone through and that they're going through. I've had the privilege to see some of, of the people that have gone through the program and watch them go through their training. And when I would just, you know, talk to them about how things are going and how their training is, the message is always one and the same, maybe different words, but basically is, David, when I'm up there, I don't even remember for that moment that I have PTSD. And that is such a blessing. And what a gift that we can give back. We're talking about a lot of stuff. Todd, on, you know, there's times in all of our lives where we feel like we have the weight of the world on our shoulders. And Tom, Todd has been there more than one time, several times, and maybe no more profound than this last couple years here. And with that being said, uh, I told Todd this before we started uh, recording this. This is the first time I've ever done this. Probably won't be the last time, but uh, this is the first time I'm dedicating the show in the memory of somebody, and, and that person today is Todd's wife, Melanie Scandrat. Todd, unfortunately, lost Melanie this past November, uh, in physically, but not in spirit, of course. I've already conveyed a lot of condolences to Todd. and Yeah, I've asked Todd to, to talk about a lot of different subjects. You know, we're going to talk about Todd's background. I'm going to go back early years little Todd and uh, talk about just growing up and going into the army and, and decisions and you know uh, there's a lot of things that I have found out that our military people have compartmentalized I'm going to say the word right compartmentalized compartmentalized right close enough say it for me <laughs> I wasn't good in English that's <laughs> I missed that day in school. <laughs> well, you know, I, I two episodes ago, two weeks ago on the show, what uh, Tim Gaskins was on, and after Tim was on uh, and we recorded and everything was edited, I asked Tim for some pictures, maybe used for a thumbnail, and he sent me a bunch of pictures. And he said, he said that he said this is some stuff of us being in the Amazon jungle, and this is how we got our gas, and this is how we got what. And I'm like, and he said, we had a really, I really had to compartmentalize a lot of the stuff back then. I'm like, this isn't the first time I've heard this. And I know there's been times that I've asked you about things that have happened and just stuff you can't even talk about. Is it still like that now? Um, 
It, it depends on what it is. And it, it really depends on, you know, the, the mood I'm in and how I'm feeling that day. Um, you know, there are some things that are, you know, still difficult to talk about and, you know, some things that still bring up, uh, very vivid emotions. Um, but other things it, it's gotten easier to talk about. So, you know, it, it just really depends and it depends on, depends on the conversation and where the conversation's going and, yeah, um, yeah, so. Well, know, let's, let's ease not it. Re- not really a good answer, but. No, that's a great answer. Reality. We'll ease into it. I don't want to jump right into all that hard stuff. Let's talk about, like, what was it like? So you and I are about the same age. We're kids of the 80s, right? Mm-hmm. What were you like in the 80s? Were you a Metallica person or were you a Michael Jackson guy? So the 80s were incredible for me um, because the the 80s that I remember was uh, being a military dependent and my father was stationed in Korea. And so I spent three years... You know, in the mid eighties, my formative years, you know, the Reagan administration, um, you know, the Michael Jackson members only jackets, you know, that's, that's what I remember growing up. And it was, it was so incredible. Um, you know, there, there are different, different things that are, that resonate with me more so than a lot of other people. Like I lived in Korea when the Korean airliner was shot down by the Russians. Mm. Um, and a lot of people don't remember that. They're like, oh, there was a Korean airliner shot down, you know, and, but, you know, from a, from a geopolitical standpoint, that was a huge event. Um, while I was living in Korea, there were several assassination attempts on the South Korean president. Um, you know, we were there when, you know, various either North Korean pilots or Chinese pilots would, um, they would defect to South Korea and, you know, when they fly their jets over into South Korean airspace, um, you know, the, the country would go on alert. And it, it was very interesting because this is at the height of the Cold War. Um, the movie, The Day After, the, you know, post-apocalyptic nuclear war movie that came out in the 80s, that came out while I was in Korea. And that had such a profound effect on the American kids that were there because we saw life differently. We, we saw life differently than American kids that were living here in the United States under the safety and blanket of freedom that we all were enjoying at the time, you know, born in the USA is coming out on the radio and, you know, that kind of thing. There was, there was a, there was an immense pride in America in the eighties you know, the, the Reagan administration, what they did coming from the Carter administration and the recessions and whatnot. Um, it was an interesting time for all of us, the kids of the eighties, but especially living in Korea and seeing it a little bit differently was tremendously impactful. And it, that was actually a motivation for me to actually go into the military. Do you remember the age you were when you were living there from what age to what age? Uh, nine to 12. Okay. Um, you were in America before and after then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we, you know, um, 
my father was stationed all over, you know, t- typical, typical military family. you you live in one place for about three years and then you move. And so I've, you know, lived in Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, New Jersey, Kansas, Louisiana, Oklahoma, um, Texas for a short time. So, I mean, I've been all over the place, you know, for short spurts, you know, when with you're, both. When you're moving around that much, Todd, do you, do you have a hard time keeping relationships and friendships? Yeah. Yeah. So, and it's interesting because, um, it's not that you have hard, a hard time with the friendships and relationships. You just realize that, you know, when you move on, you, you move on, you know, it's time to make more friends. It's time to, you know, create a, a, a different social circle. Um, you know, and it's, it's interesting. And once the advent of Facebook came about, and, you know, also you start reconnecting with people that you knew when you lived in Korea or you knew when you lived in Louisiana at Fort Polk. And, you know, it's it's crazy to kind of catch up and see where these friends from, you know, 25, 30 years ago, where they are now. Um, it, and so it, it makes it makes relationships and friendships that much more special because you know how fleeting they can be and how quickly they can go away. And so um, I found that I I keep my circle of friends small, um, and I, I really appreciate every bit of that relationship with those friends because every friend that I hold and claim as a friend, um, there's a special value to that relationship, and it, it means something. It's not just, oh, it's just an acquaintance, you know, they're – there's something more to relationships because of my background and because of how I grew up. Does it make it hard for you to let new people in? It does. Um, you know, it, I mean, it's, it's easy to make friends, um, but it's hard to really get close to friends. And so... I think that's kind of a challenge is, you know, you, you can, you can be, you can be on good terms with somebody and, you know, they can be a, a, you know, an acquaintance. Um, but it makes it difficult to, to let people get really close Yeah, because, you know, who knows in two or three years, you're probably going to be moving on and going someplace else and you're not going to be able to have that relationship anymore. That and true trust isn't just given it's developed and it's developed over a long period of time. So, yeah. But going back to my question, were you more a Metallica fan or a Michael Jackson fan? So funny, Metallica really didn't start to explode, obviously, until the the later part of the 80s and especially when the, the Black Album came out. Um, and in the early 80s, it was all about Michael Jackson. Yeah, huh? You know, and so just that exposure. I, I never really was much into music growing up. It was kind of, it was kind of interesting. Um, that really wasn't my focus. Um, I really didn't become a big metal fan until my oldest son started getting into music. 
And I remember he, uh, he showed an interest in wanting to get into music and he was like, Hey, you know, I'm just kind of wondering, you know, what kind of music did you listen to growing up? And Melanie and I, we took him to, uh, it was a media play store. And so, you know, media play has, you know, had, they're out of business now, but you know, it was, uh, you know, all the CDs and your albums and your VHS tapes and, you know, all, all the kind of entertainment stuff that, you know, we just all enjoy to, you know, dive deep into and waste our money on. And we went to media play and, uh, we just went on a shopping spree and we just walked around and it was like, Oh, Hey, Def Leppard. Yeah. We'll pull this one. Guns and Roses. Hey, this was a good album. And oh yeah, here's this Metallica album. And, you know, we, uh, we basically turned it into let's, let's look at the classics from when we were growing up and, you know, Hey, here's some Billy Joel. And, you know, so it was kind of a mix, but we, we bought, I don't know, it had to have been like 15 to 20 CDs for him on this one shopping trip. And it was kind of like, here you go, son, this was our music. And, uh, he, he took it and he started listening to the different CDs and he started to gravitate towards Metallica. And I was kind of like, Hey, I, you know, I like Metallica. I, you know, I enjoyed listening to their music. You know, I really enjoyed the black album, but, uh, it was as he was like, really, he started deep diving into Metallica and then he started deep diving into other heavy metal. And then he, he went way down this rabbit hole and I was just along for the ride. And it, it was just, it, it was just something cool to, to kind of see him as he's developing and seeing his personality come through this music piece. Um, and so, yeah. And so it's, it, it, it got me turned on to a lot of weird, crazy, you know, niche genres of music. And, uh, so I, I wouldn't say it's his fault, but he was definitely the one that got me into it. <laughs> Interesting. I, I find that like, one of the, the things I love with my kids, especially the, I'd say my third oldest Addie, is that she will sometimes fight me when I say, we got to watch this old movie. I don't want to watch that movie. And then she'll watch it. I like it. She like, yeah. well, like two weeks ago, I think we watched or we were in the camper and, she, and I was like, watch this movie. You're going to love it. This is Patrick Swayze, Sam Elliott's the man. This is called Roadhouse. Roadhouse. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I wake up the next morning. I said, sorry, I fell asleep. She goes, Patrick Swayze's the man. I said, oh yeah, I got enough time to sleep when I'm in bed, Sam Elliott. Oh, and she loved that. And then she watched uh, uh, Fight Club. Okay. Fell in love with Brad Pitt and Fight Club. So, But even like the old Rocky movies. So we were out in, I think I just mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. We were out in Philadelphia for a lacrosse tournament. And actually, no, we were in Baltimore, but we took a, a probably a, almost a two hour round trip out of the way to Philadelphia just so she could run up the steps of the, uh, the art museum and uh, yep. st- uh, take pictures with the Rocky statue. So love that. Love when we can share our passions from the past with the kids or as your kid is doing is taking your passion and, and uh, making it grow even bigger. 
which is awesome. Yeah. So it's it's funny you asked about the Metallica thing because there's this there's this whole interconnected aspect with my relationship with my son regarding it. Um, I had to go to uh, Walter Reed Army Medical Center up in D.C. for my cardiac implant when they were like, "Hey, your your heart's really messed up. We got to put this chunk of metal in your chest." And uh, so I'm up at Walter Reed, and they're they wheel me into the operating room for the procedure itself, and they're starting the prep work on me and everything. And uh, music playing in the background was just some easy listening jazz music. And uh, I was like, "Hey, is there any way we can listen to something else? Because this music is kind of getting on my nerves right now." And they're like, "Yeah, sure. What do you want to listen to?" And I said, can we listen to some Metallica? And they all kind of chuckled and they're like, yeah, absolutely. So a guy goes and he pulls up some Metallica and uh, my friend of misery came on. And so it starts playing. And uh, that's what I was listening to as I went under to get this cardiac implant put in. And uh, so it was cool. And, you know, I, I remember that, you know, and a few years later, um, I was listening to a radio broadcast on Sirius XM and they're like, Hey, you know, we've got some tickets to the mandatory Metallica concert in New York city. And they're like, you know, send us an email. If you know a veteran, they're like, we want this to go to a veteran. And I was like, well, I've got a story. And so I got home and I typed up this long email and a couple of weeks later, I get a call from one of the show producers and he's like, Hey, your letter was incredible. You know, cause I talked about, you know, having to go into surgery and asking for that song to be played and this, that, and the other. And, uh, so I won tickets for myself and my son to go see Metallica at the Apollo theater in New York. Hey, that is so cool. Yeah, That is so freaking cool. They, it worked out because it, uh, it ended up being like, three days before his 16th birthday oh even better yeah so i'm like dude how how cool am i taking my son to see metallica at the apollo theater in new york city for his 16th birthday how good were the seats and the seats were incredible we were center stage very first row on the mezzanine and it was it was amazing because, okay, yeah, we, we weren't like right down in front because like right down in front was Howard Stern and some of the other celebrities and stuff. And, but, you know, we looked down and we could see, you know, we saw Howard Stern and, you know, a couple other folks running around. And, uh, but our seats were completely unobstructed. And a few weeks after the show, I actually found some pictures online and there was a picture that a professional photographer had taken from backstage, you know, past the band and taken a picture of the crowd at the Apollo. And you could very easily and distinctly pick out me and my son because ah, so we were cool. standing, standing right in the middle center stage of that on that mezzanine level. And, you know, as, as you know, I sweat profusely. I am a very heavy sweater and I always have like a sweat rag or something with me to dry off. You can see my sweat rag hanging from my from my belt in the picture. That's awesome. So it's like, yep, that is definitely me. And so 
I uh, maybe they were taking the picture of the guy sweating in the audience and not necessarily the band. And that that might have been it. And it worked out because I I took that picture, and so because the event was sponsored by SiriusXM, um, you, nobody bought tickets. All of the tickets were given away for various reasons for you know business insiders, you know industry folks, um, folks that won these sweepstakes, whatever the case. But every person was treated as a VIP. So everybody got, there was a free T-shirt, uh, a lanyard with VIP credentials. And, you know, when you walked into the lobby area, they would walk around with, you know, hors d'oeuvres and stuff. And it's like, this was for everybody. And so it was incredible. And so I, I took that picture that I found online and the T-shirt that I had gotten for me, because Jordan was wearing his all the time, um, I took my T-shirt and the credentials we got with the lanyards and then a subway map of New York City and, you know, a couple of things. And I had them all put in this big frame. And that ended up being a uh, a Christmas present for him. Oh, and my God. So that that has turned out to be like one of his most prized possessions now. Absolutely. I mean, it, it's a the the collage itself and that that frame is just so cool because it's got so much stuff to it from, from that Metallica show. Um, but yeah, so that was, that was an amazing experience. And yeah, so that's one of the reasons why Metallica is near and dear to my heart. Absolutely. Very cool story. Let's go back to, uh, you were saying earlier that because your dad was in the military, because you, you know, grew up on base with him and traveling that it was just a natural choice for you to get into the yeah. military. There was no other choices for you, huh? No. And so it was interesting, um, because as we were living in Korea, the commander of us forces, Korea was a gentleman named general bill Livesey. And the first time I saw general Livesey, he was at a dedication ceremony for the new, uh, elementary school on the American base there. And he came out and he gave his little speech to all of us little snot-nosed little kids that who cares listening to a speech about, you know, some general talking about something. But the interesting thing about it was um, he had talked about, or they, during his introduction, they had said that he had attended and commissioned from North Georgia College in Dahlonega, Georgia. And so North Georgia College is a it's a little military college uh, in the mountains of Northeast Georgia. And the part that was interesting is just prior to moving to Korea, my parents bought a house in Dahlonega, which is where North Georgia College is. And so I was completely amazed. I'm like, I know where that school is. I've been to that school. I've driven around that school. My parents own a house near there. If a guy can go to that school and become a four-star general and be in charge of, you know, U.S. forces in Korea, that's where I want to go to college. That's what I want to do. And it, you know, it was such an insignificant speech that he was giving about the dedication of an elementary school. But it's one of those things that that, that was the point in time I was like, I know where I'm going to college. And I'm in, what, sixth grade at the time? And I'm like, I know that's where I'm going to college and I know I'm going into the military. And from that point on, it was, there was never a question. 
there was no no doubt at all what I was going to do. What a blessing that is. I mean, how many people have no idea, even when they're in college, they have no idea what they want to do or the direction of their life. And you knew at sixth grade. Yeah. And that's, and it's weird because, yeah, you're, you're right. There are so many people like, I, I really don't know what I want to do. You know, I'm, I'm studying this in school. I'm not really sure. And for me, that's the foreign concept. How can you not know what you're wanting to do? How, how do you not have any idea of where you want to go? Because I was like, dude, I've known since I was in the sixth grade. It's like, this is weird. And so I, uh, I started to understand that I was the anomaly. I, I was the one that was not normal per se, because I knew exactly what I was going to do. I knew where I was going and, you know, I did know the plan on how it was all going to get there and how it was going to happen. Um, but my parents ended up retiring to their, their home outside Dahlonega. And so I graduated from high school up in that area and ended up going to North Georgia college. And, uh, that's where I commissioned from. Amazing. And, uh, so now the, the drill field, so it's a military school. And so there's a, a large parade ground. That's the center point of the college itself. And that field while I was there was actually named in honor of General Livesey. Oh, wow. And he came to the dedication and I was able to meet him and talk to him and tell him that story. Oh my gosh. And so that was kind of a cool moment is here I am, I'm getting ready to commission into the military and he's a retired four-star general. And I'm like, hey, I saw you back in the mid eighties and your speech at the dedication was the speech that made me decide to come to this school. And uh, so that, that was a cool moment. What you did for him in that moment, he'll never forget. He'll never right, forget yeah. that yeah. young man coming up to him and telling him what a profound impact. Wouldn't that be amazing if everybody, even if you listen to this or not, that if you could go out in the world and say something to that effect on somebody else and make their, their day, their year, their life by knowing that they made a change in someone's life like you. Yeah, like, no, it's, it's incredible. Yeah. That, and I, I just wish people would have the chance to do that, you know, <laughs> cause the, what, what are the, what are the odds, you know, of having that opportunity where, you know, the guy that influenced you to make your choice to colleges is having a parade ground dedicated in his name while you're there and you get to meet him. You know, I'm sure there's a lot of people that have been like, oh yeah, I saw that guy speak when I was in sixth grade and that was the end of it and walk away. Right, yeah. You took the step to say, I'm going to do something kind for somebody else and tell that maybe it was for you. Maybe it's because you felt like you were completing a circle, but what you did for him was unbelievable, I'm sure. Absolutely unbelievable. Yeah. No, it, it was cool. It, it was neat. And I, I think the funny thing was when, you know, when I was in sixth grade, you know, I looked up to him because I mean, he's, here's this, you know, big four-star general. Now- is a college senior is I'm getting ready to graduate in commission and I am now six foot three and I'm standing next to general Livesey. I realized how small and how short he actually was. And it's kind of like, I don't, I don't remember you being like this. I, I remember you being a lot taller for some reason, but you know, now at that point I'm actually looking down on him and yeah, you know, that, those stars make a guy shrink a little bit each time. The, the weight, the yeah, weight. Yeah. The spinal compression. Yeah. All right. So we started into uh, the army. 
Um, at what point in the army did you meet Melanie? Uh, so I, I met Melanie in high school. Okay. I was, that was my next thought was, or did yeah. you meet before? No. Yeah. We, uh, our, our lockers were right next to each other in high school. And so it, we went to a small school. Okay. And so, um, you know, we, we're in homeroom together. We were in several classes together. And so I, I moved to that school the middle of my sophomore year. So the end of my sophomore year, junior and senior year, you know, we were all in the same classes and everything. Um, and, uh, so we started dating our senior year. Okay. And, uh, yeah, she, uh, she was planning to go to the university of Georgia, go dogs, uh, two time back back national champions. She was planning to go to the university of Georgia. And, uh, un- unfortunately I had such a profound effect on her that she uh, changed her commitment and she went ahead and applied to North Georgia and, you know, she was accepted. And so she decided to go to North Georgia as well. And the interesting thing about the school is it's co-educational. Um, but the females were not required to be in the core cadets. If you were a male resident, you had to be in the military program. And so, you know, that was part of my plan. Um, so I was in the military program. And she was a female resident on campus, but she was not in the military program. Um, and so just, uh, you know, and so through my time there and, you know, having to go to basic training and airborne school and ROTC advanced camp and all this, she stuck by me. And what, what was her major or what did she, what career path did she pursue? Uh, she was uh, a marketing and management major. So business administration. Okay. Um, but yeah, so she was, you know, she stuck by me through all of my adventures with the military. And, you know, I started skydiving at the time and, you know, she would you know, go hang out at the drop zones with me and she'd travel around with me when we were going to jump and stuff. And, um, you know, she wasn't super adventurous, but she would go and she'd be there and she'd support me and, you know, we, uh, we graduated on a Friday and I commissioned that Friday evening. Uh, the following day, Saturday, we got married. Oh, wow. So we, we did, uh, we figured, Hey, if we're going to invite family into town for a graduation or a commissioning, all which are big events, let's just go ahead and get the trifecta knocked out, do everything all in one weekend, save everybody some time and hassle. So, uh, yeah, we did graduation, commissioning, and a wedding all in one weekend. So, of course, now, when you were deployed, would she go with you or no? Obviously not. No, no. So, um, you know, my first assignment was out in Oklahoma, and, you know, she moved out there with me because we were out there for several years. Um and then I had transitioned from active duty to the reserve. Uh, you know, and it was kind of a, a family decision. It's kind of like, hey, you know, I've got two little boys and, you know, I want to continue to serve, but I want to be able to have some stabilized home life with my kids. And so I had decided, hey, let me go into the reserves. There won't be as much of an impact on me being gone as on active duty. And that plan blew up in my face because of 
there was a little event called September 11th. And uh, so once I had gotten into the reserves, um, mobilizations and deployments came fast and furious. And so there was a 10-year period um, that I was, I was only home for four of those 10 years. Oh my gosh, that had to be so hard not to be able to see the family for that long and watch your boys grow at those ages. Yeah, and so at, at the time, you know, especially because, you know, the, the war on terrorism and everything, you, you realize that, hey, I, I was doing something meaningful. I was doing something impactful. And so there was that driving force. It's kind of like, hey, this, what I'm doing is important, you know, so it, it needs to be done kind of thing. And so you're focused so much on the mission and doing that. Um, it wasn't until after I got back and I was medically retired from the military that I kind of looked back and it's like, man, I missed a lot. I, I missed so much. And so that's when the the regret starts to hit. Wow. And that's when... Um, you know, you, you really start questioning a lot of things about decisions you made in hindsight. And, you know, it's like, man, did I really do the right thing? Are you comfortable saying right now what you would have done differently? Or is that something you want to keep to yourself? Um, knowing what I know now, I would have remained on active duty. I would not have transitioned into the reserves. Um, and I would have remained on active duty because at least on active duty, they, they had a much more stabilized rotation plan than what I ended up experiencing as a reservist. And so, you know, yeah, those guys deployed a lot, but in retrospect, I, I mobilized and I was away from my family more because I was in the reserves. And so, um, that, that part, that's the hard pill to swallow is, you know, I, I thought I was making this decision to spend more time with family and it completely, it, it blew up in my face and was like a 180 from what I was hoping. When I see someone wearing a veteran's hat, and this just happened to me last week when I was in Mountain City, Tennessee, and I would always go up and I'll thank that person for their service. But also, if I see that they're sitting next to their spouse, I'll thank them as well for supporting. Yeah. Um, how crazy difficult was this all for those years while you were gone for such a long period on Melanie? And maybe not so much the boys because maybe they didn't know differently. But do they see the impact of, of dad being gone for so long? Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, and so... And and I, I appreciate you recognizing the support that the spouses and family members provide to the veterans, because um, the, the veterans wouldn't be able to do what they do without that support. Um, and you know, I I looked at Melanie and she was such a rock star, and you know, I know that the relationships I have with my boys, it's a good relationship, um, but I missed out on a lot. And, you know, one of the ways that I, I, I know it was a negative impact on them was the fact that, uh, you know, I was 
they they would have been, you know, immediate fourth generation military. Um, but our family is able to trace our military service back to, you know, before the civil war. And, you know, so I, the tattoos I have, I have tattoos of my combat patch, the, the patch my father earned in Vietnam for his combat service, the patch my grandfather earned in World War II for his combat service, and the patch my great-grandfather earned in World War I for his service. And so, you know, yeah, so I, I was immediate direct line fourth generation, so they actually would have been fifth generation service. And neither one of them wanted to serve at all. And so it was, it was never an option for them. They're like, no, it just, you're away too much. It, there's too much sacrifice involved. And, you know, so I don't know, you know, yeah, there's part of it is a a generation thing, you know, and we see that now with military recruitment being down and whatnot. Um, but also I think that what they saw the profound impact that my service had on them was that dad's gone all the time and we have to worry about dad getting blown up and you know we don't like that whereas for me growing up i was in korea with my dad and i saw what the military was providing to our country and i saw what it meant to provide freedom and so you know it's just the, the variation in what they experienced to what I experienced, you know, drove them not to want to serve. And so I, I, you know, I look back on that and, you know, you know, I didn't want to force them to serve, but I would have been very proud if they had chosen to serve. It's hard to blame them. They really oh, yeah, is. No, no, I, get, dude, I, I get it. It's like, Hey, your dad's going to the store for some milk. He'll be back in a year. It's kind of like, I, I, I get it. You know, I, I, I understand why they didn't want to do it, you know, so. Um, I asked you this earlier, or we were starting to talk about, um, what do you feel more comfortable now opening up, up about things that you saw that you haven't in the past, if there is any? I don't know. I, I think when, when people will, you know, we're, we're sitting around, you know, chatting around the campfire, you know, I'm, I'm willing to open up, you know, pretty much about everything, you know, the, the, the horrors of war and some of the stuff we'd seen and, you know, stuff that would happen. Um, you know, I, I think the, the difficult part for me now is, you know, people that, you know, will, will tend to get into, uh, you know, their, their political arguments with me uh, about things, you know, like a, a big one is, you know, there were no weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. And I find it interesting because I had to pull security on an IED that was found in central Baghdad. And the IED itself was a mustard gas bomb. And so I need somebody to explain to me how there are no weapons of mass destruction, but the insurgents are implanting mustard gas IEDs. How does that work? How, how do you not have weapons of mass destruction? And how do you not have weapons of mass destruction when 
Saddam Hussein used them against the Kurds during the Anfal campaign. He used them against the Iranians during the Iran-Iraq war. He's used them against his enemies. He's used them against his own citizens. But miraculously, there are no WMDs in the country. And I got to sit on a mustard gas IED. So that kind of bothers me when people are like, oh yeah, no, we got it all wrong. We shouldn't have been there. Really? You sure about that? How does it make you feel when you hear people say that 9-11 was a conspiracy, that it was planned inside of our own walls, our own country, that George W. Bush was a part of it? Yeah, that's completely ridiculous. Okay. Yeah. No, there, there are enough people in the world that hate us and want to do evil to us. We don't have to plan things internally to do it to ourselves. You know, um, yeah. And, what does it, what so does it mean just, to you? To, so we're recording this August 10th of 2023, but this is going to uh, be broadcast or posted on September 11th, which is Patriot's Day, which I thought was perfect for you. You're one of my favorites. Thanks. What does it mean to you about it being Patriot's Day? Does that have any significance to you or is it just a day that the country decided to name because it was September 11th? Ah, oh, man, that's, that's such a tough one. Um, yeah, cause I'll, on the one hand, I am, I am so proud of my military service and I'm so proud of those individuals that choose to serve. Um, because people don't fully understand what that sacrifice is. They're like, oh yeah, you join the army and you go off and you do your thing. No, there's, there's a lot that you have to put up with. There's a lot that, there's a lot of BS. And, you know, for people to voluntarily do that and to serve and to put themselves out there and put themselves in harm's way, that's incredible. It, it's incredible to ask that of people. And so, yeah, yeah. I'm very proud of that. Um, I feel that our country has been uh, so divided recently that, you know, we've gotten so far away from understanding what a unified nation looks like. Um, I almost feel like the the general population isn't worthy of it anymore. You know, we, you know, you, you chastise the military and you chastise the police and you second guess every little single thing they do, but our enemies get a free pass. Criminals get a free pass. You know, we, we have to coddle to them and we have to cater to them and you know, who suffers? They don't suffer. You know, and so that's, that's kind of the view that it seems society has now. And it's like, Hey, you know, if, if you don't appreciate the freedoms that, you know, are being so dramatically, you know, fought for, for you, you know, is there really any need for people to sacrifice and do it for you anymore? 
You know, I, I think we've become so spoiled and we've lost our vision of, of what makes our country great. You know, it's, uh, it's sad in a way. We just keep getting more and more divided. We just keep getting more. We've talked about it for years now and we keep getting more and more divided. And, and it's funny, we were talking earlier about the 80s right. and just how great it was during that, those Reagan years. I mean, shoot, people were wearing, girls were wearing jelly roll things on her wrist, looking like Madonna, and guys right. were wearing white gloves, and it was still cool, you know, because everybody felt good about our country. There was so and much we, pride. We, we, were all, we were all on the same team. I was driving and, yesterday, and I almost pulled over and knocked out a door when I saw that he was flying his flag upside down. It was so disheartening to right, see yeah. somebody do that. Yeah. And but they have the freedom to do that. Yeah, they do. And, you know, but it's, it's sad we're, we're to the point that, you know, we, we have to, it, it's a race to see who the biggest victim is and to see who the most marginalized person can be. And, you know, and it's crazy because, you know, talking about growing up in the eighties, um, you know, I remember growing up watching these commercial or these, you know, little cartoon clips about America being a melting pot, you know, and America is all about- Schoolhouse Rock, baby. Yeah, Schoolhouse school rock. rock, exactly. You know, the electric company, Sesame Street. Yeah. And you'd see these little cartoons and it's all about, hey, we're all coming together, you know, and we're, we're all being part of this bigger experiment known as democracy in America. And we were cool with it. We, we bought into it. We loved it, you know. Thank God for, you know, Mary Lou Retton and, you know, the, the U.S. hockey team in 1980s knocking off the Russians. I mean, talk about unifying. And then we turn around and where, where are we now? The U.S. women's national team is getting booed and heckled by Americans because they take a political stance on something. Uh -huh. you know, it's like, it's sad. It, it is so sad. And, uh, you know, I, I look back and, you know, can we ever get back to a point where, you know, hey, we're a melting pot. We're, we're in this together. We're this, you know, we're, we're supposed to be working together. Yeah. You know. I pray what, for it. I don't, I don't see it happening. Yeah. I don't see how it could ever happen, but I pray for it. Yeah. But yeah, because now we've got to see who can be the most marginalized and who's the most victimized and who's the most entitled and... You know, it's not, hey, you know, let's work on this together. You know, let's see who's owed what. Thanks for listening to part one of the podcast with Todd Scandrett. Next week, we'll talk to Todd and he'll tell us about his heart attack that led to his retirement from the U.S. military. We'll also talk about the tragic loss of his beautiful wife, Melanie. Thanks again for listening to Beyond the Sun. Hey everyone, this is David. Just a quick reminder, if you haven't already, please go ahead and give this episode a five-star rating. Also, leave a review or any questions you might have for the guests and I'll make sure they get it. Thanks again so much for listening and we'll see you again next week on Beyond the Summit.